today, I'm praying and trusting that as we come together to meet with the Lord today, that your hearts are prepared, eager, ready, expectant for what the Lord might do in us on this day. Let me draw your attention to just two things by way of announcement. We have currently just ongoing our capital uh, capital improvement love offering that's taking place. Thank you to those of you that are, have already given to that, you're praying about that, giving to that, we thank you so much. Just a quick note on that, that if you are an online giver, uh, you can do that, um, kind of through that normal process that you would normally do that. Just in the comment section as you give that offering, just kind of say, hey, this is for the Capital Improvement Love Offering, and um, the people who take care of such things will get that where it needs to be, all right? And then secondly, next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock here in the sanctuary, last Sunday of the month, and so we'll be gathering together again to pray uh, together just as we're praying and thinking about our church and asking the Lord uh, to give us help and to give us wisdom, uh, direction for the months, years to come. Uh, I've enjoyed these prayer times with you guys. That's next Sunday at 5. We'll be praying specifically uh, next Sunday for our men's and women's ministries, and so that'll kind of be our focal point. So I hope that you'll be able to be a part of that. If you are visiting with us today, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, if you did not uh, swing by the lobby and pick up a little welcome bag uh, on your way out, just straight out those doors, if you will stop by those friendly faces out in the lobby. They would love to just kind of put something in your hands, say a brief hello. So if you're visiting with us today, we are so thankful to see you. So glad you're here. Let me pray and we'll get started with our time together this morning. Oh God, we thank you for the gathering of your people on this Lord's Day. God, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're sitting with on the pews, Father, that we have engaged with and fellowship already, encouragement this morning. God, I, I pray, God, as we gather, we, we, we come with particular burdens. We come with experiences from the past week. And God, sometimes those distract us, they burden us, they weigh us down. God, would you draw near to the one who is weak, to the one who is burdened? Oh God, would you be the lifter of their head as we sing and as they are pointed to you in song, God, would they see your greatness? God, as we open up your word, God, as we hear of who you are, God, what you intend us to be, Lord, that saints would be encouraged by the word today. God, that most certainly in all things, that you would be honored and glorified and exalted among us. God, there is much that would seek to distract us. God, the enemy of our souls would love for us to not hear from you through your word today. God, would you help us by your spirit? God, help us now to worship you in all the ways that you are due. Father, to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, to give you our very best. God, to carve out these moments where we will lay aside the very best we can, God, distractions, and focus our eyes on Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. 
So God, we give you all praise and honor and glory for it all. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen, church family. Let's stand as we continue to worship. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory. Who rules the nations with truth and justice Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance The King of glory, the King above all kings Yeah, this is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place cross you lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me worthy is the lamb who was slain Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. All that you've done for me.
Church family, this next song, um, we introduced it last week. Uh, I mean, I hope, I hope y'all have a chance to, to get familiar with it. And let's, let's join together and sing of the one deserving of our praise. All praise to him. to him, the God of light, who formed the mountains by his might. All praise to him who names the stars, that sings his fame in skies afar. All praise to him who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above, yet bends to hear our every prayer. With sovereign power and tender care. In all praise to Him whose love is seen in Christ the Son, the Servant King, who left behind His glorious throne to pay the ransom for His own. Oh, praise to Him who humbly came to bear our sorrow, sin, and shame, who lived to die, to die to rise, the all-sufficient sacrifice. to him whose power imparts the love of God within our hearts, the spirit of all truth and peace, the fount of joy and holiness. To Father, Son, and Spirit now, our souls we lift, our wills we bow to you, the triune God we raise. With loving hearts, our song of praise to Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, our souls we lift, our wills we bow to you, the triune God we raise. With loving hearts, our song of praise. family, would you take God's word and join me in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 39, where we'll be reading, we read the first half of chapter 10 last week, we saw together the one-time sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross, and then what that means to us. Now in the latter half of chapter 
10, we see here a warning, a warning to the people of God to not walk away, to not drift away, a call to endure even in the midst of suffering. If you find yourself this morning in that place of difficulty, maybe a suffering that no one else knows about but you, and maybe in the quietness of your heart you have asked yourself, is it all worth it? Hear the call of God's Word. Endure, faithful saints. God loves you. God sees you. He is moving and working for your good. Do not walk away. As we hear from the Word of the Lord this morning, may God take this eternal truth and write it upon our hearts. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Praise God for that. Church family, be seated, if you will. And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, the text of Hebrews before us, it warns us, God, it warns us of what happens to those who willfully sin, to those who trample underfoot the blood of Christ. It warns of those who do not 
endure, persevere to the end. And at the same time, the text encourages the saints. It reminds us, God, that by Your work in us, the work of salvation that comes to us from a triune God, all three persons of the Godhead actively involved in our salvation, God, that through such a great work of salvation, we are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Father, we are not kept this morning because we were strong enough over the last seven days. Father, we are kept by Your sovereign hand. Oh God, I pray that we would find our confidence there. Lord, that we would leave no confidence for ourselves. Lord God, that You would humble us under Your mighty hand. Humble us under the beauty of the Gospel. God, I pray that one of the fruit that would grow out of us on this Lord's Day, is that we would have increasing desires. Increasing desires, O God, to live by faith. Even in suffering, even in difficulty, God, to live by faith. Under the glorious promise that we've just read that Christ is coming again and one day we will see him not through eyes of merely faith but through redeemed glorified eyes we will see him we will be with him we will know him every moment of suffering will have been worth it every painstaking moment of endurance It'll be worth it. So God, encourage Your people with these glorious truths this morning. God, thank You that You've redeemed us. God, thank You that You have sent Christ. Thank You that You have sealed us by Your Spirit. God, as we continue to lift our voices in song, it's in great praise and thanks that we sing these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we continue in worship. commands all the hosts of heaven and who else can make every king bow down and who else could whisper in darkness tremble 
only a holy God. And what other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Oh, come and behold Him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy forever, a holy God. Come and worship the holy the glory consumes like fire what other power can raise the dead what other name remains undefeated only a holy God oh come and behold him
His mercy is more than our sins they are many. His mercy is more. And you may be seated. Well, we are in Acts 4, verse 12 this month, and so let's look at it, let's recite it out loud together, and I want to highlight two things from this, and then we'll pray together. So if you would, follow along with me. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 So there is salvation in no one else. No other name has been given to us by which we must be saved. And so fundamentally salvation is it is forgiveness of sin and life from death. And so the air we breathe in our world around us separates it separates religion spirituality from the physical world and from life out in the marketplace so to speak but that that separation is not biblical and it is not reality that fundamentally as as here Luke tells us that salvation is only in Jesus that life is only in Him, we can look around us and try to find and strive to find life in so many other things than by Christ. And so may, may this morning, this time together, may we see clearly in, in God's Word the life and the salvation that is only in Christ and in Him alone. That we would, we would turn from the things of the world that we may have been spending this week on to turn to Him fully and completely and to depend upon Him, the giver of life, the one who saves us from death, who brings about forgiveness from our sins. It was a costly gift and sacrifice that we would be forgiven. And also, there is no other name. There is no salvation in anything else in this world, and the world is growing. It is growing so fast. There is no hope outside of Christ. That means people die every day without hope, without life, without knowing Christ. And it has been given to His church. It has been given to us. The charge, the challenge, the responsibility of going to all nations and telling them who Christ is he has given His church a job to do. And I hope Jesus, I, I, I say this as much to me as to you, that Jesus is prized and treasured in our lives that we would speak about Him and that we would recognize the mission He has given to us and that it would become a greater and greater and greater priority in our lives. That His Gospel would be, would be what we share and speak. And that the reality of the lostness of this world, the almost 8 billion people, I think, in this world, 
how many have no hope because the gospel has not been shared with them. Pray with me. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you you have clearly shown us and told us who you are. And that we see in Christ, we see the Son who has come. That the mystery, the mystery for ages that that your, your people Israel and the Gentiles would be incorporated into your family by Christ. That mystery is no longer a mystery. That we clearly see and know who you are and what you, what you are doing. And we clearly know what you have for us to do, Lord. As you are bringing about the first fruits from death in, in a people in your church. And ask that God, Lord, would you remind us that there is no name given by which we are saved there is none other than christ god would you lead us and gift us with repentance this morning lord if there are things that we have given attention and affection to this week that that shove you out out of of our lives as primary that god we would bring those to you we would bring those to you that you would gift us repentance and that, Lord, you would give us life from those things that bring about death. That, Lord, our, our lives would be surrendered and given unto you in every aspect. That whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, we would do for your glory, for the name of Christ to be known. And, Lord, would you move in our lives that the many things that often crowd out the essential call uh, upon your people of going to the nations to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit and to teach them to observe and obey what you have commanded, Lord. That mission, that call, Lord, may that grow within us as, as such a priority and a passion and a desire f- with fervor to, to make you known to others. To go with the Gospel to share you with others, God, knowing that it is only in Christ that there is salvation and that there is hope and there is life. And so, Father, would you speak to us, God, this morning? May we see you clearly in your word. Lord, may the the misconceptions we have of who you are, Lord, may you address those this morning from your scripture and that, God, we would, Lord, we would come to you in repentance to faith and that, God, you, Lord, would Speak and teach and lead and guide and be glorified this morning. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Church family, would you take God's word and join me again in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, as we continue to make our way through the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, we come this morning to the fifth of these Beatitudes, this fifth Beatitude is the shortest of them all. It is just nine short words. It is brief. It is clear. It is to the point. Many of the Beatitudes, if not all of them up to this point, have dealt primarily with the heart condition before God. When you get to chapter 5 and verse 7, and the fifth Beatitude, you make a bit of a, a turn, if you will, And the turn becomes most certainly an issue where our hearts continue to be addressed, but then also how the heart condition begins to interact with the people around us. We we move just a bit from the heart condition to the actual hands and feet 
of being true followers and true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 clearly and succinctly says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One of the aspects of God's character, of His nature, His ways, what He is like, one of the the first things that we learn about God early and then often in Scripture is that God is a God of mercy, of pity, of compassion. You remember the moment when Moses is up on the mountain, he's gone back up the second time to receive again the law on these tablets of stone. And he asks of God in that moment, God, I want to see your face. God responds to him, no one can see my face and live. I'll I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by and you can see the back of my glory. And in that moment, when God passes by, He says this in Exodus 34 and verse 6, the Lord passed by in front of Him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And as you continue to make your way throughout Exodus, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, all the way to the final Amen of Scripture, what is often repeated about God is that refrain of His mercy and compassion. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 31. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which He swore to them. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, they are recounting the past faithfulness of God. And this is said to God in that Nehemiah 9, verse 17 text. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and you did not forsake them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 listen to how Paul describes God in this text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, speaking of Christ, we read there that He is a merciful and faithful high priest. Church family, to know and to understand God rightly, it means that we must know and understand Him as a God of mercies. A God of compassion. A God who pities 
His people. We must know Him as a God who has looked upon our miserable and pitiable condition and yet, in seeing it, is not turned away by it. He is not grossed out by it. It's not too much for Him. No, He sees it and He does what? He moves toward it. For that in its very essence is what it means to be merciful. Not just that you see it and have a brief moment of feeling of compassion or pity or or empathy and then kind of move on with your day. But it's to see it, to feel something in your soul about it, and then to move toward it to act for relief upon the one who needs that pity and compassion. And we know that this is a defining characteristic of who God is and how He is like because we look to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look to the cross of Christ, what do we see there? To be sure, we see its rugged cruelty. And to be sure, we see it as a divine display of the outpouring of God's wrath. But when we look again, church, what else do we see about the cross of Christ? We see a display of divine mercy. For God has looked upon our condition, the condition that our own sin and rebellion has left us in, broken and poor and separated and objects of His wrath, but yet He has done what? He has sent His Son Christ. And through the cross of Christ, God has poured out mercy upon His people. It is the merciful compassion of God that moves toward sinners and saves them from the wrath to come. Therefore, true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have received such mercy and compassion, True followers of Christ, in light of God's mercy to us, we will then have hearts of mercy for the hurting. We will have feet that carry us toward the lost. We will have hands that seek to work compassion upon the needy true followers of Christ and remember that's the point of the sermon on the mount it's the point of the beatitudes if you say you are of God if you say that you are a Christian if you say that you are in the kingdom of God then these are the things that will characterize your life True disciples of Christ obey Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved 
children. One cannot claim to know and to have received the mercy of God in Christ and then not display that same mercy to others. The fifth beatitude is driving us to hear and to understand this one central reality that true followers of Christ they show mercy unto others as a display that they have first received mercy from God. I think that's the point. That's the idea here. In this short but very pointed beatitude that true followers of Christ, they will show mercy to others as a display that they have first received that mercy from God. I've been reminded just in recent days of one of the really key things that drew me and Katie and our family to Faith Family Fellowship. And that thing being that we saw early a church body, a group of people who deeply loved one another and who were desirous to Show that love to one another. So church, as we look at this beatitude this morning, as we think about showing mercy to the hurting, I want to commend you. I want to commend you. I want to say thank you for being the hands and feet of Christ. But I want us, if we can, to excel And abound in this still more and more. Matthew just shared with us. There is a lost and dying and hurting world that so desperately needs the people of faith family to show mercy as we have been shown mercy. How does the beatitude begin in verse 7? Blessed are The merciful. The word merciful there is the adjective that describes the act of showing or giving mercy. And at its core, we've already alluded to this, but just to think about it for a moment more, at its core, the word merciful is pointing us to the reality that mercy is more than a feeling. It's an action. Mercy begins in the heart to be sure, but then quickly thereafter, as we reflect on God's mercy to us, that mercy, it grows hands and feet, if you will, so as to move toward and work for the relief of those who are hurting, those who are merciful, They have a heart that has been changed by the mercy of God. It has been softened by the mercy of God in Christ. And that heart now feeling pity and compassion and empathy toward the hurting, it doesn't stop there but continues on. That heart of mercy will display Mercy. It will be merciful. 
A heart of mercy will do deeds of mercy. A heart full of compassion will lead us to merciful acts of compassion upon others. J.C. Ryle describes it this way, speaking of what it means to be merciful. He means those who are full of compassion towards others. They pity all who are suffering from sin or sorrow and are tenderly desirous to make their sufferings less. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said it this way, it's the disposition whereby we lay to heart the miseries of others and are ready on all occasions to be instrumental for their good. I think this gets illustrated for us, I think a lot of places in Scripture. I want us just to look at a couple places in Scripture where we see mercy being illustrated. We'll also see in these texts, by the way, what not being merciful looks like. But the point being, I want us to see mercy illustrated. Turn just a few pages over to Matthew 18, if you will. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. By the way, that is an unpayable sum. You can't pay that amount of money off. One who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. This is almost a bit comical, a little tongue-in-cheek almost. I'll repay you everything. It's an unpayable debt. Can't possibly begin to repay everything. But watch verse 27. The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. That's mercy. It's a compassion of heart that understands the pitiable condition that that person is in and is kind and patient and forgiving and lets that slave go and the debt marked paid but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii that's still a large chunk of money but repayable and he seized him and began to choke him saying pay back what you owe so his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying have patience with me and i will repay you but he was unwilling went and threw him in prison 
until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So much. So much there. But you get the point. We have been shown so much mercy. Because we owed a debt that could never be repaid. And if we got 10,000 lifetimes, and we were even somehow maybe mostly good in those 10,000 lifetimes, we could not begin to think about repaying such a debt. What should the overflow of our souls be? What should be our disposition toward others around us? Mercy. Turn to Luke chapter 10, if you would. Another familiar text. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. You know this as the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. You know, there, there might would be some that would say, you know, he should have known better. Everybody knows that road from Jerusalem to Jericho is dangerous. Everybody knows that it winds through a, a, a kind of a barren wasteland where robbers and thieves hang out. Anybody with any sense wouldn't have taken that road down to Jericho. If you take that road to Jericho, some might say, you probably just deserve whatever happens to you in that moment. And by chance, verse 31, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go 
and do the same. Here, just in in two brief texts of Scripture, we see illustrated for us what it looks like both show mercy and to not show mercy, and the clear call in both of these illustrations that the people of God are to do mercy. Beyond these illustrations, there are clear commands for us in Scripture to be people of tender mercy. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving each other just as God and Christ has forgiven you. Turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 verses 14 to 17. Hear this call. James chapter 2 verses 14 to 17. What use is it, my brethren... If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. You run up on someone who's cold and on the coat. They're hungry. And if your response is, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you'll be warmed and well fed. Go, go in, go in peace. James is essentially saying to us, hey, church, that's ridiculous. And in fact, it's even worse than that. It's a dead faith. It can't, that's a faith that that does not save. Because true faith that saves doesn't merely look at the person and say all the spiritual language of go in peace, be warm, and well fed. It does what? It puts a coat on their cold body. It puts a meal before them. It doesn't just have a passing feeling of, ooh, that that person's in a bad spot. It feels compassion, maybe even feels empathy, like gets in their skin. But then it does something. It warms them feeds them. It is merciful. A person who has received mercy from God will in turn be merciful. Those who withhold mercy, pity, and compassion only give evidence that they know nothing of God's mercy, pity, and compassion. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance 
and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you just think lightly of it? Is God's mercy and kindness to you no big deal? Remember, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. If you have come to a place of repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how did that start? It started with God's kindness to you. And if God had not first been kind, you would still be dead in your trespasses and sins. Don't think lightly of His kindness by not showing deeds of mercy turn to ephesians chapter 2 ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 7 i know we're turning a bit more than normal this morning thanks for hanging with me here ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 7 just follow the flow follow the argument here with paul you you church you christians you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Just let that sink in. You're in Christ today. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God. Watch it. Being rich in mercy. Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. One more. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Verses 3 to 7. Titus 3. Verses 3 to 7. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Disobedient. Deceived enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Mercy sometimes is described 
as not getting what we deserve. On, on the other side, grace, as it is sometimes described, is getting what we don't deserve. And while it is true that mercy, or at least an aspect of mercy, is not getting what we deserve, that doesn't go quite far enough with how Scripture lays out for us the mercy of God. It's not just that God said, you know what, I'm just not going to pour out my wrath and judgment and punishment upon them, and then He walks away from that. No, it's that God says, I'm not going to pour out my wrath, my judgment, my punishment on them. And then God does the unthinkable. The holy, pure God does what? He comes to us, His sinful people. And He doesn't just say, I'm having some compassion on you. He doesn't just say, go, be in peace, be warm, well fed. What does He do? He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. He feeds us with the bread of life and gives us the living water so that we might live, church. That's mercy. That's mercy. So then, the people of God will pour out mercy upon the needy, the hurting, the lost. Charles Spurgeon said, followers of Jesus must be men of mercy, for they have found mercy, and mercy has found them. So then, what does that look like? What does it practically look like to show mercy, to pour out mercy? It looks like kindness. Just a general disposition of kindness and meekness toward others, even when, maybe especially when, they sin against you. It looks like moving toward people who are hurting no matter the reason. Back in Luke 10, the guy travels from Jerusalem to Jericho on what is known to be a very dangerous road. And there might have been some in his day, it might have even been the justification of the priest and the Levite to say, uh, you, you, if you travel this road, if you make that choice, you've got to be willing to deal with the consequences. And I think there is a bit of that going on in our day where we find people hurting and the reflex of our soul is, well, if you hadn't done this, then that wouldn't have happened. And it is true that sin, choices, they have consequences. But the call of Christ's people is to look at those who are hurting no matter the reason and to have mercy upon them. It practically looks like forgiveness. Did you notice how many times when we're reading about God's compassion, it's often coupled with forgiveness? Is there any display of God's mercy that is greater than Him forgiving us of our sin? 
where He takes our sin and places it on Christ, declares us forgiven, and gives us the righteousness of Christ so that we might stand blameless and pure in His presence. Showing mercy looks like forgiveness, church. It looks like making a conscious choice to not hold that sin committed against you against that person's record. It looks like not weaponizing that moment. It looks like not keeping a record of wrongs. Mercy looks like empathy for the lost. That, that word empathy, it, it means to, to, to get into someone's skin. To put yourself in their place. For the lost, for the hurting. Just to, to get down in that. And, and remember, that's what Christ does in the Incarnation. He gets down in, in our skin, doesn't He? And He gets down in our mess. And He works to relieve the suffering. It looks like patience. Look, you're a sinner living among other sinners. We're going to need patience, alright? You're going to need it in your marriage. You're going to need it with your kids. You're going to need it with your parents. You're going to need it with your coworker, classmates. God has first been patient with you, beloved. Mercy looks like being patient with others. It looks like not being easily offended. Showing mercy, being merciful, looks like not being easily offended. Do you know that you don't have to be offended by everything? Do you know that there are some things that happen and you can just kind of go on with your day and smile and sing a song and your day is not wrecked by whatever just happened over here? Proverbs 19 and verse 11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Don't be offended. Christians should be the least offendable people on the planet. Because we have received mercy from God. Being merciful, it practically looks like generosity. Not just saying, go be warm, be well fed here. Here. Here's my coat. Here's a meal. Here's this money that I was going to use for that, but you need it here. Because we understand that God has given an indescribable gift in Christ. Being merciful looks like being slow to be judgmental toward others. Just being slow to be judgmental. Not having a judgmental, critical spirit. It, it, it looks like praying for others. That person that rubs you raw and they know how to push your buttons how do you show mercy maybe just start by praying for them 
praying to ask God to help you to show mercy. That lost person, again, they just they know how to get at you. How else are they going to act? They're lost. Pray for them that the gospel would come to them, that they would hear and repent and believe. Look at the end of verse 7. Blessed are the merciful for. Why are they in a blessed condition? Why are, why are they in a contented position? For they shall receive mercy. Those who are merciful shall receive mercy. Here's what this does not mean. Just for a moment, it does not mean that you can show enough mercy to others in order to receive mercy from God. That would be a works-based salvation. You cannot be kind enough to receive mercy from God. Just be kind is a great moral. It's a terrible gospel. Because you can't be kind enough to make yourself right with God and to cover up a multitude of sins. You cannot be empathetic enough to earn God's mercy. So then what does this mean that the merciful shall receive mercy? I think it's just simply this. That those who show mercy, they are merciful. They give evidence of something that says something about such a person. And it says that they are truly born again. That they have received the mercy of God. They live under even now the mercy of God. And for all eternity, they will receive the mercy of God. Those who are merciful are giving evidence of something that is already true about them. And so here we see very starkly that part of what it means to be a Christian is that we will be people of mercy and those who withhold mercy, look, at at best, they just have a faulty understanding of what it means to receive mercy from God and at worst, they know nothing of God's mercy. True disciples, they show mercy to others as a display of what? That they have already received mercy from God. When we evidence patience and kindness and forgiveness and compassion, it's evidence that you know the same things from God. You know, the inverse of verse 7 is also true. The inverse would be this, that those who are not merciful will not receive mercy. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy 
triumphs over judgment. Do you remember the condemnation of Jesus upon the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 23? Remember what He said to them? You tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin. You're so bound to the doing of the law that that you sit at home and you separate out a tenth of the deal and a tenth of your spices, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, such as justice and mercy and faithfulness. He, He condemns them for their hypocrisy. The merciless should not expect mercy in this life, And they are guaranteed not to receive it in the next. The inverse is also true. Church, we could talk all day about God as a God of mercy. But with that reality rolling around in your heart and your mind, remember that true followers of Christ show that kind of mercy. They feel in their hearts compassion, care, a love for. And then they move toward the hurting. No matter what the reason is, they move toward the hurting with the goal being, I'm going to relieve you of whatever it is that you're dealing with in this moment. Church, there is a lost and dying and hurting world right out there. And what that world that is so unmerciful, it's so harsh, it preys on the weak, it destroys the most vulnerable, what that unmerciful world needs is the church who know of the mercy of God to pour out mercy. Move toward the ugly, the hurt, the broken, all the bad consequences of all the bad choices. Not in judgment, but mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Pray. Church, pray for a heart of mercy today. Would you be honest and and say, like, if this is true, would you be honest and pray, God, my heart in some way has grown bitter and cynical. God, soften it by your mercy. Pray for a willingness to act mercifully. God, give give me eyes to see it, a heart to feel it, and then hands and feet that want to move toward it. God, help me in that. Pray that God would help you remember just how much mercy you have received from Him. If you remember that, you'll never even be able to withhold mercy from people. Once you first remember how much mercy God has lavished upon you. Do you know Christ this morning? Have you turned to Him in forgiveness of sins? It's only in Christ that you can receive a compassionate, forgiving mercy from God. You will not know forgiveness and mercy apart from Christ. And so if you do not 
Know him this day. Come to him. Turn from your sins. Trust him. Claim him as your own and be saved through him. Let's pray together. Oh God, you are a God of faithful mercy, compassion, kindness, love. God, even when your people are unfaithful, you are faithful, you cannot deny yourself. God, remind us how much mercy we have been given. And then God, by your Spirit in us, God, work in us, move in us so that we will show mercy. So God, help us to respond however you call us to respond. God, whether that's turning to Christ and receiving your mercy in Him, God, whether that is just praying that you would soften our hearts. God, maybe it's confessing and repenting from the fact that we have been withholding mercy. God, help us to respond. God, thank you for this church family. God, thank you for the ways, so many ways, that they love one another and our community so well. God, stir us up to do it more. May we abound in these things. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me as we sing this morning?